Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So we're gonna start we're gonna start إن شاء الله a thematic uh, covering of the book called Healing the Emptiness and let's start with the title Healing the Emptiness. What this assumes is that everybody has emptiness within them. And I, don't, I don't think there's anybody here who would disagree that all of us at some level have some emptiness. There's something missing. There's, a, there's an anxiety. There's a restlessness. The idea that maybe there's more to life than what we're currently experiencing. And that needs healing. That's what the title suggests. So... The author, Yasmin Mujahid, she starts in order to understand why is there an emptiness to begin with. And then we can then ask the question of how can healing take place. But first let's focus on emptiness and why there is. So she, she starts us with what she calls our origin. This is what's called the divine covenant in the Qur'an. This is very real. And sometimes we speak about religion and we speak about it in like, you know, theoretical terms. Guys, religion is a very real thing. I don't know about you, I'm not interested in signing up to some religion just because, you know, it feels good to be part of that group of people. I have one life to live and I need to live it by the truth. If Islam is not the truth, I don't have time for it. Do you understand? Religion to me is not a performance. It's not something that I... And I hope we all, we don't see it as something that, you know, I just gotta like, put on my costume and show up at the masjid and do my thing. You know, sometimes what we do at work is a performance. We just show up, we gotta play that role, so we do it. And then we go home back to being normal. To me, that's not what religion is at all. Religion for me is transformative. It, it, you know, when, when you study the teachings of the Qur'an and Hadith, it jars you. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable when I read it. Why? Because the religion didn't come just to like pacify our souls. Oh, you, oh you're fine just the way you are. And what's the point of revelation then? You know what I mean? The reason why it's there is to tell us, no, you're not okay. You're not okay. And because you're not okay, there's something that you need to do about it. That's what every prophet came to tell their people. You guys are not okay. And you have some work to do. That's the whole thing. If we wake up in the morning thinking, oh, we're okay, we're not going to make any effort. We're not, we're, that's called heedlessness, ghafla. When you wake up and you think you're fine, Ibn Ata'illah, he says, the root of all 
evil that comes within a person is because of self-satisfaction. I'm good. Because I think I'm good, I'm not going to make any effort, because I'm good. It's when you really feel like something's wrong, that you're now going to do something about it. And the religion comes to show you where you're wrong. Okay, so when we speak about these things, I don't speak about it like this is just a theory. This happened. You know, millions and millions of years ago, this happened. And we have to believe it because the Quran tells us. There was a time when there was none of this, none of this physical world. And all that existed were souls. Human souls, arwah, the plural of ruh. And the Quran describes how the arwah, the ruh, all of them, every one of us, Muslim or non-Muslim, everybody, we were in the divine presence. And Allah asked us the question, Alastu bi rabbikum? Am I not your Lord? Every single soul at that time said, Oh Allah, you are our Lord. Absolutely. I mean, how could you deny it? What else was there to distract you? There was just a pure soul in the divine presence, and you couldn't deny it, I couldn't deny it. And so we, we absolutely said, Oh Allah, you're right, you are our Lord. We were complete in that moment. There was no need. We had no needs. We were a soul with our Lord. We recognized Him. The soul was receiving all its nourishment because the soul's nourishment, the ruh, it comes from the divine. And being with the divine in the divine presence was sufficient for every one of us. So there was no concept of emptiness. She explains how when Allah decided to then send each human into this world, He did not just send souls into this world. He, every one of us had a soul, but it was put into a body. And it was in that physical body that we entered the world. And here we are. And the human body has needs. It's dependent on the things around it. And that's what happens. When you come into the world, now suddenly you need to eat food. You need things to drink. You need safety. You need social support. You need psychological support. You need to learn. When you get older, you need, you need money. You need a place to live. There's a lot of needs that the human being has. Now, what ends up happening for a lot of people though, is that we become preoccupied with the needs of the body. Now think about that. When you wake up in the morning, your 24 hours goes by pursuing what? What are you trying to accomplish? And then for the sake of what? A lot of what we do is in the service of the body. Why do we go looking for something to eat? Not for the soul, it's for the body. Why do we need a place to sleep? It's for the comfort of the body. Why do we buy memory foam mattresses? It's for the body. Everything comes back to serve the body. You understand? A lot of what we do, a lot of what we do, because the body has these needs. You know, Plato, in his dialogues, when he speaks in, you know, on the tongue of Socrates, he describes the, the soul as like a bird inside of a cage, the cage of being the human body. The soul, you know, it gets fed up with the body. It's like, sometimes you wonder, is, is this all we're doing? We're just waking up to go to work, 
so I can get money, so I can pay for a house to live in, and I, I can buy some food to eat, so that I can be comfortable enough to go to sleep, and wake up in the morning and do the same thing again? How many of you, do, does that not sit well with? Right? There's, there's this restlessness that, no, 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 there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And, and so Plato says that the soul seeks something greater. Like, we need like a purpose. We need, people talk about leaving an impact, leaving a legacy. Technically speaking, you could just eat food, sleep, wake up in the morning, go to work, and do all that every single day for 60 years and die. Right? You could do that. Where does this desire for something transcendental, something greater come from? It does not come from the body. It comes from the ruh. And every one of us, we have that ruh. Now, like I said, because of our being busy with our bodies, and, and that too, we go to the gym. It's for the body. Right? Uh, we have appointments for the body. We have doctors for the body. Dentists for the body. Optometrists for the body. Where in all of that are we providing for our rule? You know, we talk about holistic care. People talk about self-care, taking care of yourself. Where is ruh care? What did you do for that today? I went for a walk for my body, and I made sure I ate like a really aesthetic oatmeal and chia seeds and yogurt kind of plate, which I post on Instagram, right? Because it's got to be, you know, self-care. And then, what's it called? Turmeric with ginger and black pepper. What is it? All that detox stuff. And I'm avoiding inflammatory foods. <laughs> right? Isn't that, isn't that, that's what people talk about. Go to the gym every day, and I take some time to meditate and like journal. Yeah, mashallah. And there's still a restlessness like, is this really what it's all about? We gotta eat these foods every single day and do this workout and that's, that's life. Even though we're all gonna get old, none of that prevents getting old. And we're going to die. So what was the point of it all? Do you realize there's something missing? Because there's a part of us that we're not doing anything for. We're not, we're not, what are we doing for our ruh? You know, like we're providing for our bodies, right? From the different parts of our body. Are we providing for the ruh? And if you're not providing for the ruh, a major part of you, Dare I say, the primary part of you, the essential part of you, is not being provided for. Its demands are not being met. Is there any surprise then that we constantly feel... Like, don't you see people who are super rich? And they're like, no, 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 there's got to be more. You seen that? They've satisfied everything of the body. But there's got to be more. It just can't be this. There's a part of me that yearns for something. You ever met people like that? Sometimes their parents don't understand them. They're like, no, but I yearn for adventure. It's this classic movie arc, you know what I'm talking about? Where like the child's living in the suburbs, good home, everything, school, education. But they're like, no, I want to go to some other country and help out the poor. And they're like, it's a war-torn country. No, but I got to do it. You know, like there's a call for adventure, a yearning. You know what I'm saying? People have that. A yearning for something more. It just can't be it. 
With the Prophet ﷺ, in his time, there was a companion by the name of Mus'ab ibn Umayr. Considered to be the richest young person, the richest youngster in Medina. Some narrations mention when he would walk down the street, people walking after him on that path would recognize that he walked through that path because of the perfume he wore. Like it was so expensive. And he was just pampered because his, his family was rich. But of course, there's got to be more. This can't be it. Eat, sleep, work, repeat. It can't be. And so he left all that. When the Prophet ﷺ invited him to Islam, he accepted Islam. His parents boycotted him. And he was okay with it. Because someone might say, well, if your bodily needs are not being met, then the person will turn back from their deen. Providing for the soul can be so powerful that a person will be willing to give up that which is of extreme comfort to the body. Do you understand? You ever heard of someone taking a pay cut for their family? It's like, no man, like, you, you did all that for money. All that education was for money. Now you're going to get that money. And they're like, no. There's something that money can't buy. The time with my kids can't do that. Being my presence with my family, it can't do that. The time I'm giving to my community, that money can never give me that. There's, there's, there's a deep understanding that many people have. And maybe some of us don't have that. But I want you to leave with this question today. What are you doing for your ruh every day? What are you doing for your ruh? Okay, what can you do for your ruh? That's a question too, right? What can you do? See, as we grow up, after coming into this world, what do we do? There's always this kind of anxiety and this restlessness within. This idea that there's got to be more. You can talk to people who've accepted Islam. Many of them will tell you it wasn't some stumbling across a Mufti Mank video or something, right? Or It was like, there was a question. You, you know, like, what's all this for? Why is this? You ever met someone who told you that? That that's what really drew them? Even if they're a Muslim, by the way. I, I, I'm of the view that people who convert to Islam and people who are born Muslims, or born Muslims, quote-unquote, we, we kind of have to teach them the same way. Honestly speaking. A lot of people think, no, this person's born Muslim. You don't got to teach them the basics. Actually, you do. A lot of us did not learn the basics. And you say, well, no, I did learn Sure, you did. That's not the basics that I'm talking about. We're talking about, why even be Muslim? Wallahi, there's a thousand other ways you could exist in the world. Why choose this way? And a lot of us have like parroted answers. And again, I got no time for that. I don't know about you. I don't have time for that. For, yeah, you know, because Islam is true, because of Quran and all that. I'm not just going to say that. If it's all bogus, then it's bogus. And we should have the courage to stand by the fact that if this is bogus, it's bogus. But we don't ever entertain that. We don't even approach the religion with that honesty and courage. We need to be real with our deen, authentic, wallahi. Per to, to have a commitment to the truth. Now, what I'm trying to say here is, um, you know like, you know, for example, you take a little kid, right? And you, and you teach them answers. Halloween's bad, Halloween's bad. 
And then, you, you know, you t- you, they go to the masjid and the imam pulls them aside and says, Hey, what are you doing on Halloween? Oh no, Shaykh, I'm not doing anything, I'll be at home. What do you think about Halloween? And the kid's like, oh, Halloween's bad. Now if you ask that kid, is Halloween bad? Yeah, yeah, it's bad. No, is it really bad? No, no, it, it's, it, it's really good. It's really good. If we're honest, so many of us parrot answers when deep down we feel otherwise. Why? You know, growing up, that's the life I lived. I would tell the world something because that was the right answer everybody in my community wanted to hear from me. Deep down, I thought completely otherwise. And deep down, I could not deny that I'm lying to myself, that I'm living a lie. And a point comes where you say, life is too valuable. You only have one chance. Why live the lie? And so once and for all, it's like, I got to figure out if this Islam thing is real, it's true. Otherwise, why waste my time not eating a Big Mac? You know what I mean? Why should you waste your time wearing a hijab when it's... Is it fun? No, yeah, Shaykh, it's, it's a command of Allah, you know, like he gets happy. No, but is it fun? It's like, it's not fun. In the summer, you're sweating and oh my God, it's hot and, you know, and it gets in the way and sometimes you get stuck in the pins in the car. And it's not fun. It's not. Then why do it? We do it because... It makes sense. But it only makes sense if you ever take it seriously. What are you scared to find? Are you scared to find that it's not the truth? That's what I always asked myself when I was studying. Ask all the questions you want. What are you scared to find? That it's not the truth? Well, if it's not the truth, then leave it. We gotta be real and authentic about our religion. And then allow it. Once you find it's the truth, allow it to transform your life. Wallahi. And I, I can say with confidence, I would have been such a terrible, terrible human being if I didn't take Islam seriously, personally. Wallahi. Like growing up, I was a menace. I'm not here to tell my life story. But for me, religion is serious. It's a real thing, man. It's made me any decent, any decency I have today is because of Islam. Really. Because otherwise, I was not a good person at all. I was... I was stuck up, I was self-centered. And that's why in my life, this religion gave me everything I have. I've seen this transformative power in my own life. For me, it's real. So, but what happens? What do we do? We come into this world, a, a, a ruh comes in a body. And of course, you start to like, eat stuff, you start to go places, you start to do things. But there's always this emptiness, something's missing. So we experiment with things. You know what I mean? Some people experiment with a certain identity. Maybe this will make me feel like finally I have it all figured out. You try that identity out. You fit in with a group of friends until you realize they're all fake. You keep trying to latch on to the dunya to fill that emptiness and it's never filled. It's never filled. It's never full. Um, now, why is that the case? Because everything that I'm going to turn to, to try to fill the emptiness, it only feeds the body. It, it cannot feed the ruh. And if we're not feeding the ruh, which is crying out for help, which is crying out for something more purposeful and meaningful, then that emptiness will always remain. 
That's why, that's why religion has to be meaningful and relevant. Many of us grew up with religion that was not meaningful, that was not relevant. You did what you did because that's what you have to do. That's not meaningful. That's just, you're just blindly following. You're not going to find meaning in blind following. You find meaning when you begin to truly, that's why, understand this point here. Your parents will bring you up a certain way according to Islam. But at a certain point, you have to begin your own journey. And if you don't begin your own journey, you will not find satisfaction in your religion. You will not. It will not have meaning. And that's why people will come and they say, Shaykh, I'm coming to the masjid all the time praying. It's not really giving me anything. Why are you praying? What do you mean, Shaykh? Of course you got to pray. But why are you praying? I mean, that's what I always did growing up. No, but why pray? What's the meaning behind it? Allah told me to. But why pray to Allah just because He told you to? What's the deeper significance and relevance of this to your life? Why pray to Allah, not to someone else or something else? Shaykh, don't say that. That's shirk. No. You have to know why you worship Allah. Only then will it give you something in your heart. Otherwise, no. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? So we experiment with different things to fill the emptiness and nothing seems to do it. People will experiment with, with drugs. They'll experiment with sensual pleasures. People have phases. Well, they experiment with drugs. They experiment with relationships, haram relationships. They'll experiment with different addictions. Some people experiment with, with crime and theft. Different types of identities we try to adopt so that we fit somewhere. Something, you know, just kind of makes us feel complete. Maybe that person will make me feel complete. I see people, they reach 40 years old. They're like, Shaykh, I'm satisfied, I'm happily married, but there's something missing. Because even your wife or your husband can't satisfy your ruh. No. What is it that can satisfy the ruh? Allah revealed the Qur'an to tell us that. There is no amount of research that can tell us what will satisfy the ruh. Because the ruh is that which is not material and physical like the body. And so the empirical methods of science cannot tell us what will satisfy the ruh. That's why Allah says, it is in the remembrance of God that the hearts will find peace. That you can finally fill that emptiness. You can tie the loose ends of life together. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's this all for? You can tie it all together by the teachings of the Qur'an. And without the Qur'an, you're left with mere questions and no answers. Seriously. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, I'm creating on this earth a vicegerent, which you could say is a representative. Every one of you and me, all of us, are representatives of God on this earth. We are here to do the work of God. We are not gods. Allah will not come to help the poor. He will not come to feed the poor, to visit the sick. It is the people of God who will do that. Some of us sit around and go, well, why are there problems in the world? 
What's God doing? God has put His people here, me and you, to do that. The Prophet didn't sit there and go, Oh Allah, why are you doing that? He understood. I am here as a Khalifa of Allah on earth, and I have responsibility to do, to complete. Every one of us in that sense is a leader. We're a leader. Now, whether or not we rise to the occasion is a different story. But every one of us, and I want to talk about that inshallah in a subsequent uh, lecture inshallah. The concept of every human being being a leader. Every one of us, doesn't matter who you are. We're all leaders. And you might say like, who listens to me? Right? No, the bare minimum is that you're a leader of you. You're a leader of you. And you might not even understand what that means. Or that, that that's even a concept. But we'll talk about that. And remember, a lot of people, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a hint towards this. When I talk about every one of us needs to be a leader of themselves, it doesn't seem to make sense to people. But let me give you an example. You ever seen somebody, when they have kids, suddenly they realize the responsibilities they have? And they realize, oh, I need to be able to provide answers to my kids. You know how many times I've had parents come to me? Sheikh, my, my child is asking this question. What's the answer? And I, and I say, whatever answer you know. What's the answer? Oh, I don't know. Ah. Well, that's part of what it means to be a parent, is that you're in a position to teach your kids. So they start to realize, wait, all the deficiencies in themselves become apparent through their kids because they don't know how to lead their kid. You know, one person said, you can't teach what you don't know. You can't lead where you don't go. And you can't reap what you don't sow. How are you going to lead your kids anywhere if you haven't been there? You want to lead them to certainty in their religion when you don't have it. You want to teach them a, a, a mindful prayer when you don't have it. In Arabic they say, The one who lacks something can't offer it to others. And so we think, when the time comes for kids, that we'll just be able to you know, guide them. We haven't guided ourselves. And, and there's a part of us that needs guidance. And we are the ones who are responsible for that. And so in that sense, we're all leaders. And our leadership of others, that's where men have a huge responsibility. Because if, if they're meant to be leaders, quote-unquote, in relationships, well then they have to be able to lead themselves to begin with. How are you going to lead someone else when you can't lead yourself? When you can't wake up for Fajr, how are you going to wake up your kids? And anybody else? And so there's a, there's a responsibility, because with leadership comes responsibility. Leadership is not a reward, it's a responsibility. And responsibility is heavy. Isn't it heavy to think that all of us here have some part to play in solving the problems of the world? You know how much that bothers me personally? You can ask like Arabic students. I rant to them about it all the time. The problems in the world and the, the fact that we need to do something about it. And I want to know what I can do about it. And it bothers me. And at nighttime I lie there thinking, what did I do with my day? And what am I going to do with tomorrow? Because if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it? We all point to the person beside us. And nothing gets done about it. And it hurts. And so leadership comes with this responsibility. And that responsibility leads to pain. It leads to difficulty. And that's that emptiness within. 
that we are not fulfilling the demands of our ruh, we're not stepping up to the challenge to fulfill what we're here for. And until we don't do that, understand nothing else, nothing else can fill that gap, can fill that emptiness. Keep searching. You can keep searching until you're 50 and 60 for something, but you neglect your ruh, you'll never find peace. That's, what, that's the core teaching of the Qur'an. The ruh needs sustenance. And that sustenance comes in, the form, comes in the form of servitude to God. In order to get sustenance for your body, what do you need to do? You have to strive, don't you? There's hardship involved in getting food for your body, in being able to buy a house, in being able to buy a car, in being able to have a comfortable house to live in, and furniture, and a bed to sleep in. It costs money, it takes effort. Only after that effort can you get what? Some peace. At least physically speaking. How, how is our ruh going to find peace when we're not ready to strive spiritually? You talk about mental health and physical health and, and you know, emotional health. What about spiritual health? And what are we doing? Really, that's what we're missing, the vast majority of us. You might say, what well, I pray, there's a lot more to spiritual health than praying. You ever heard somebody say, when we talk about physical health, they go, yeah, but I walk around the house. Right? What do we say? We say, that's not enough. Physical health is more than just walking around the house. You've got to make a conscious effort to go out and walk more. And then you've got to watch your diet. And then you've got to focus on your mobility and, and your flexibility and stability. You've got to focus on all these different things. And then the vitamins. and There's so much to look at, right? It's, it's complex. When it comes to spirituality, we're like, Sheikh, I, I literally had someone come to me the other day. So, Sheikh, I pray. Why don't Allah still give me problems? That's literally what they said to me. I pray. I said, oh, is spiritual health only requires prayer? What does spiritual health require? It requires the remembrance of God. How many of us, how many of us have, a, have what's called a, a routine, you know, a litany of waking up every morning and remembering Allah, even for two minutes? Remembering Allah alone. Not think, we think about all our problems for the, the coming, this coming day, I have this, 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 this. Do we think about the one who solves the problems? Every single morning to sit for two minutes, for example, to do some dhikr of Allah, to look at the book of Allah, to try to understand the book of Allah, to try to conduct ourselves with good character. How many of us... And, and then we're wondering, right? You ever seen people, oh, my back hurts. It's like, yeah, 20 years of no activity might do that to you. Just, it's just, just a theory. You know, I'm just hypothesizing here. But maybe that's the reason there. And we know what they're doing? What did I do yesterday? Why is my back hurt? Yo, what did you do for the last 20 years? That's the problem. And so suddenly we're like, why do I got problems today? Did something happen yesterday? It's like for 10 years now you haven't been praying. You haven't been remembering God. You haven't been reciting Quran. You haven't been turning to Allah with dua. And then you're surprised when something goes wrong and there's an emptiness inside. Do you understand? And so, what Allah will do to turn us and get us to realize something's missing, is He sends pain our way. You know, Yasmin Mujahid in her book, she gives the example of a fire alarm. That pain for us is like a fire alarm. It's there to tell us what? 
that there's a fire. Or at least that there's going to be smoke somewhere in the house. But what, are, what, are, what do we do? We're so annoyed by the noise that we're just like, just shut it off, just shut it off. It's like, no, 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 go find the smoke. Go find the fire. Because that's what's important. If all you're going to do is keep taking out the batteries from the fire alarm, what's going to happen? Your house is going to burn down. And then you'll be like, why did it burn down? Because you never listened to the fire alarm. The pain that comes into our lives tells us something's wrong. You know, even physical. If your hand is on a, a stove that's on, what, what do you do? You feel pain. And what does that pain tell you? Move your hand. You ever seen somebody who doesn't have sensation? You know, I, I've heard of somebody that, you know, they, don't have, they didn't have sensation in their legs. And they went to take a shower, boiling water, and it like scalded their skin. And they didn't realize, because they didn't feel anything. It's only when they looked down, they went, oh, wow, I'll adjust the water. So pain tells you what? Move your hand. You get it? What does pain tell you in your life? Change your life. There's something that needs to be changed. There really is. That's why pain comes to us. It is a blessing. The fire alarm that goes off disturbs you, but it's a blessing. It saves you from far greater catastrophe, doesn't it? The pain that you feel in your hand, you don't get mad at it. Your hand, well, why, why, why you got to hurt for it? It's like, no, it's a blessing that your hand hurts. Because if you left it there and you didn't feel the pain, it'd be far worse. And so the pain that we experience in our lives reminds us that something's wrong in our lives. To go back and reevaluate. You know, um, I want to finish with just one, one statement here. The pain that we experience, its purpose is for us to correct the imbalances in our life. And, uh, and that's, that's a process. It's a process. You know, one, one person said it like this. They said, life is really just a journey of constant inner reconciliation. That's what we're constantly doing. There's a part of us that believes in Allah, and there's another part of us that says, no, but I really want to... I want to be in a relationship with her or him. There's a part of us that says, but I really want to eat that, or I want to live that lifestyle, or I want to impress those people, or I want to look a certain way. And there's like a war that goes on within us. And life is just this constant re reconciliation. You know, some days we're trying to make the army of Allah happy, and sometimes we're making the army of Shaytan happy. That's just what life is. Allah helps us by sending us those pains those heartbreaks when the world lets you down to show you its true colors. To show you that that cannot fill your emptiness. It cannot. The ruh has needs and demands that can only be fulfilled by a life of servitude to Allah. If you don't believe me, just look back at the last 20, 30 years of your life and tell me, without the remembrance of God, have you ever truly felt at peace? Have you ever truly felt ready to die? And that's a hard question. But that's what, it's, that's what our deen is. It asks us hard questions. It doesn't pat you on the back and say, hey, you're good. It does tell you that things will inshallah turn out good if you're trying. But no, it reminds you that there's always room to grow. And may Allah Ta'ala grant us tawfiq to hear the message of the pain and not just be in a hurry to... to, to, to 
get rid of the pain. May He give us tawfiq to realize that our ruh has been crying out for so long for something to fill the emptiness. And we've searched everywhere. May He give us tawfiq to realize where, where that sustenance, where that provision truly lies. In obedience to Him, in servitude to Him. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. ولكل وجهة هو موليها فاستبقوا الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير